have your Bible, open with me to Mark chapter 6. What we normally do here on a Sunday morning is we work our way through a book of a Bible at a time. Uh, that is not what we will be doing this morning, however. Um, you know, in every preaching class or any time I hear someone giving a lecture on preaching, they always say, don't ever let anybody know how unprepared you are. Um, but it's probably not going to be that much of a secret this morning that I didn't have a whole lot of preparation time this morning. Um, Caleb texted about, we were up here practicing, um, it was probably around 8.30. He said, I'm not going to be there this morning, I need somebody to fill in. So that fell to me. Um, we did have other people willing to stand in, though. Uh, I know Ryan was uh, ready to go, and Dennis was ready to go, and so we have, um, thankful to have so many who are willing to step up. Um, but with that being said, um, we'll be in Mark chapter 6 this morning. And uh, I love the Gospel of Mark because it, Mark is an author who likes to get to the point. Um, if it, yeah, amen. Um, if you were to compare it to the other Gospels, you would notice in the difference in Mark's pacing. Uh, one of Mark's favorite words is immediately. Uh, he doesn't give a lot of details in his stories. It's one story after another, and it's always immediately they did this, and then immediately they did that. So Mark likes to get to the point. Um, so before we get into chapter 6, though, I want to back up and get some context of where we are going to read this morning. So in Mark's gospel, he's attempting to answer the question of who Jesus is. And let's do a, let's do a quick overview of chapters 1 through 5, and then we'll pick up uh, our story in chapter 6. So Mark's main goal is to identify who Jesus is, and he gives us the answer right away in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right away we have our answer to who Jesus is. And then Mark takes the rest of his gospel to explain that further. He is the Son of God. And, he, and Mark gives us proof of that throughout the rest of the book. So after Jesus is baptized, he calls the 12 disciples. He goes, and then he immediately goes to work. He is going from place to place, healing and the disciples are there with him, watching him perform these miracles. In chapter 2, he is healing and he is teaching with the disciples watching and listening. In chapter 3, we see more healing, more teaching. And then uh, he's beginning to, we see that in chapter 4, he's beginning to attract large crowds to himself. People are wondering who this person is who's, who's performing these miracles. In chapter 4, we also see Jesus begin to teach using parables. Then in the last passage of chapter 4, we see Jesus on the boat with the disciples. And you might know the story well. Uh, the storm comes and Jesus is on the boat sleeping. And the disciples go and wake Jesus up and they say, do you not care about us? And so Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. And this, this passage is often used in sermons to show how God can calm the storms in your life. 
which, which totally misses the larger point, the greater point. The point of the story is not God calming the storms in your life, but it, we serve a powerful God who controls nature. So the passage ends with the disciples asking, who is this that even the winds and sea obeys him? So even though the disciples had been with him for a while now, they still don't understand, they still don't get it, who Jesus is. Chapter 5 almost seems to be an answer to to their question. We read about Jesus casting out the unclean spirit from the demoniac. He heals the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He raises a girl from the dead. So Mark is answering the disciples' question. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over demons. He is Lord over sickness and is even Lord over death. However, even after all these miracles that Jesus performed, the people still did not understand who Jesus was. The beginning of chapter 6, we see that Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. His own hometown, the people in his own hometown send him away. Then Herod, Herod believes that he is John the Baptist raised from the dead. So people still don't understand who Jesus is and, and what he is doing. They still didn't get it. So this morning I want us to, to pick up in verse 30 of chapter 6. The apostles are returning from their mission that Jesus had sent them on. Uh, Real quick, before we get to verse 30, look at verse 7 in chapter 6. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So Jesus had sent out the disciples to preach repentance, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. So before we read this miracle, uh, let me say this. Um, we're going we're gonna to read about how Jesus feeds a, a large crowd. But before we do, I think there's a reason that this, popular, this, this story is popular among, uh, you hear it a lot in children's church. It's a popular story to tell kids. And I think there's a reason for that. I think we can tell our kids this story and they actually believe it. There have been many, including those who are Um, theologians in the church that try to explain away this story of how Jesus could have done this or how he could have pulled this off. There's a theory that Jesus just had um, this stockpile of food hidden away in a nearby cave and he had his disciples go to the cave and bring out the food. Another theory is that there was food that the disciples just didn't see among the thousands of people and the miracle wasn't necessarily a miracle of Jesus providing food, but it was a miracle of sharing. But I think I want us to see this morning that this is a true story about a true miracle performed by the Son of God. We should read it with a childlike faith and not try to explain it away. This miracle is the only miracle uh, other than the resurrection of Christ. This is the only miracle that we read about in all four Gospels. So it's an important story. 
in John's telling of the story, in John chapter 6, he tells us that it had such an impact on the people who saw him do it that they wanted to make Jesus king. They tried to take him away and make him their king. So I would encourage you to uh, go back and read this story in the other three Gospels. Uh, but this morning we'll look at it in Mark chapter 6. Let's start in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy, them, buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we look at this story this morning that we will... Um, just see how you are our provider. God, speak to us this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So uh, this, the story begins with the, the disciples returning from the mission that they were just sent on earlier in the chapter. And it says that they came to tell Jesus all that they had done and taught. And I'm sure that they were excited to share all the things that, that happened as they were out with, they were working on behalf, they were working with Jesus's authority. So these men whose faith was often weak were performing miracles in Jesus's name. And there was no doubt that they worked hard and they put in long hours and they were able to see the blessings of this ministry. And they came back to share, but um, what we see in verses 31 and 32 is that they came back to rest also. Jesus tells them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Why does Jesus tell them that? Well, they were so involved in the mission that it says that they weren't even able to eat. They needed some downtime. So Jesus commands them to rest for a while. It was not a sin for them to take a break. It would, it would have been a sin for them not to take a break. And the same goes for us. We can be so busy working 
maybe even working for the sake of the gospel, that we don't get away and rest with Jesus. This is why we as elders thought it was important for Caleb to take the month off of January. Um, and he decided he needed an extra week this week. Um, just kidding. He, uh, but seriously, we, we wanted him to get away and rest because it is so important uh, to rest in Jesus. There's, there's a time for work. As Christians, we should never be lazy. But we should have times that we get away and rest because Jesus tells us to. Some people are wired in a, such a way that they are workaholics. They work all the time. They can't stand to sit down even for a minute. That's definitely, I don't have that problem. Um, I'm good at resting. Uh, but we can make work an idol. Uh, being a workaholic is not spiritual. I think we often think that the more we work, the more uh, we accomplish and the more spiritual we're being. But the truth is that we need rest. But then we should remember that rest is only for a time. And even in our rest, we should always be ready to do ministry. Christians are never off duty. Uh, we see that in verses 33 and 34. It says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So the plan to get away from the crowds didn't work. The people saw Jesus, excuse me, the people saw Jesus and the disciples leaving and ran ahead of them. Jesus sees this huge crowd, and how does he react? Is he frustrated? angry, disappointed. No, it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We see this comparison a lot in the Bible. Jesus as the shepherd and his followers as the sheep. Jesus is the Lord who is my shepherd in Psalms 23. In Ezekiel 34, God promises to shepherd his sheep who have been abused and scattered. Jesus is the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is the good shepherd in John chapter 10 who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5. And he's the great shepherd in Hebrews 13. We, on the other hand, are stupid sheep who cannot take care of ourselves, cannot save ourselves. Helpless creatures, vulnerable to all sorts of attacks. Without the shepherd to fight off the prey, we would be dead. We desperately need a shepherd, one who is compassionate, one who is able to provide for us, one who is able to protect us. And this is what Jesus saw when he looked at the crowd following him. He saw sheep with no shepherd. Uh, we see the same phrase in Numbers chapter 27, verse 17. Moses is pleading with God to raise up a leader so that the congregation of the Lord won't be like a sheep without a shepherd. God answered Moses and raised up Joshua in anticipation of the greater Joshua named Jesus. 
So once again, the people are lost in the wilderness, and the good shepherd has arrived to guide them and feed them. His compassion, Jesus' compassion, moves him to meet their needs, their spiritual needs and their physical needs. The, the miracle that's getting ready to happen is so great that we often overlook what is happening right before uh, in verse 34. It says, he began teaching them many things. So Jesus knew that their greatest need wasn't food, but their greatest need was the word of God. But we know that he also cares for our physical needs. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, we are commanded to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, give rest to the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit those in prison. These should be outflows of the gospel. These should be natural to us as Christians. Jesus had compassion not only for their spiritual needs, but also their physical needs. And we should do the same. In verse 35, we see that it's getting late. Jesus, and as if Jesus wasn't aware of the time, the disciples bring it to his attention. They tell him that they, he needs to send the people away so that they can get something to eat for themselves. And this may sound harsh to us, this response of the disciples, but I think we can understand where they're coming from. They were tired and hungry. They had just gotten back from this long mission, and their resting time was interrupted by this large crowd. And it was a very large crowd. We're told that it was 5,000 men. So if we uh, were to estimate adding women and children who were there, it could have poss possibly been around fifteen to 20,000 people there. So to the disciples' request for Jesus to send them away sounds pretty reasonable. Everyone was hungry, and there was no food around to feed this many people. So Jesus' response must have sounded a little insane to them. He tells the disciples to give them something to eat. So the disciples say, send them off, and Jesus tells them, feed them. God calls us to have compassion on those in need. He wants us to meet spiritual needs and physical needs. We minister to the whole person because that's what Jesus did. So at first, Jesus' commands, his command to feed the 5,000 seemed impossible, and probably a, a little insane. But the disciples give it a shot, and I can just picture them in my head, like Jesus telling them, go see what food we have, and then just, you know, like when I tell my kids to go clean the room, it's usually not a, a good response. Um, they'll do it, but not with a good attitude. That's kind of the, the picture I have in my mind of the disciples' attitude when Jesus tells them to go uh, gather food up for all this many people. I'm sure they weren't very excited about it. But they do go and do it. These 12 men who have seen Jesus do the impossible, calm the storm, heal, raise from the dead, yet they were still full of unbelief. But in their unbelief, they still obey the instructions of their master. And in doing so, they get to participate in one of Jesus' greatest miracles. Verse 37 through 40, it says, But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, 
Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. So they are told to go feed the people. And with some sarcasm, they do, the disciples do a little math. They figured it would take about eight months' wages to feed all of these people. And they had just gotten back from this mission, which they were commanded not to take any money with them. So they were about eight months' worth of wages short. So Jesus asked what they have. They look through the crowd, and they come back with five loaves of bread and two fish. In John's telling of this story, uh, we learn that it was from a boy that they got this from. So all they found was this lunch that a mother would pack for her son. So they knew that this was a problem way beyond their resources. There was no way that they could feed this crowd with uh, a lunch that was packed for a boy. And if Jesus does not do something, this wasn't going to happen. It's a popular saying these days that God will never give you too much, uh, God will never give you what you can't handle. And I think that's a misunderstanding, and it comes, the misunderstanding or misinterpretation is of the ver 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So this verse is often misinterpreted as that God will not let anything happen to you that you can't handle. And I would love to see the faces of the disciples if someone told them, at the, told them that at this point in the story. I think the opposite is true. God often gives us more than we can handle. And it's not to be cruel, but it's because he loves to demonstrate his power and his sufficiency in our lives. He allows problems to invade our lives that are far beyond our abilities or resources to handle. He does it so that we will be completely dependent on him. He wants us to look to him. So Jesus didn't look at this, as a, this situation as a problem to be solved but as a chance to trust in God and to bring glory to him. So Jesus becomes the host of this great banquet. Just as the Israelites were provided with manna in the wilderness, Jesus, the bread of life, now feeds his people with a meal that, like they have never experienced before. He takes five loaves, two fish, broke it into pieces, and gave it to the disciples to give to the people. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. Not one person was left hungry. At the end of the meal, they gather up 12 baskets full of food that was left over. Where we see a lack, Jesus sees an abundance. Where we see a problem, Jesus sees a possibility to show his faithfulness and his sufficiency. When the kids were a little bit younger, we used to read them um, 
out of the story, the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, and in the introduction of that Bible, uh, I love, I always love the introduction. It says this: it says the Bible is not a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story, and the best thing about this story, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. Jesus showed his love and his compassion and came to the rescue in a desolate place to feed the 5,000. He showed his love and he came to rescue us in a lonely place called Calvary. He didn't come to bring us bread, but he came to be the bread that will completely satisfy us. Spurgeon said, come then, weary, hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but open your mouth and receive the food. Jesus is the all-satisfying bread. Let's eat and never be hungry again. Sadly for the disciples, this is not where this story ends. If you skip over a chapter and go to chapter 8, Read with me chapter 8, verses one, starting in verse 1. We see a, the same, a very similar story. It says, In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to these also uh, should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. So it's almost uh, it's a, a very similar story to what we just read. And it's interesting to see that verse 4 you know, the disciples had already seen this once, but again in verse 4 they say, how can, we, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You had just seen it. They had just seen it. So again, Jesus feeds a huge crowd with very little. Again, there was food left over. And again, the disciples doubted Jesus. And then look down at verse 16, still in chapter 8. It says, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So twice now, they've seen Jesus provide thousands of people with food from a very small amount. After all that they had just witnessed, not once, but twice, Jesus miraculously providing food for thousands of hungry people. Yet the disciples are still worried about where their next meal is going to come from. Jesus responds in verse 17. It says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, 
Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus is saying, look at everything I have done up to this point. Realize that I can provide and care for you. It's easy for us to, to criticize the disciples at this point in the story. You know, they'd seen miracle after miracle, not just Jesus feeding the, the, these large crowds, but they've seen Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. They've seen Jesus heal the blind and heal the sick. So it's easy for us to criticize their unbelief in this, this situation. But I, I believe Jesus is asking us the same question this morning. Do you not yet understand? Not in a harsh way, but as a gentle father longing for his children to trust in him. So what are you worried about this morning? What's causing you anxiety? Turn it over to Jesus and let him take care of you. The disciples, even though they didn't quite get it, they were still serving God. They were still serving others. They were still with Jesus' authority performing miracles. God is calling us to serve. God is calling us to serve him, to serve others. To not worry about things that are outside of our control. Trust, on, trust in Christ and rely on him to provide for you. Serve him with childlike faith. Most kids don't grow up worrying about paying bills or how little the, the paycheck was this month or where the next meal is going to come from because they can trust that their parents love them and are going to provide for them. And there's freedom in that. They are free to, to just be kids. In the same way, we cast our anxieties on Christ so that we are free to do what he has called us to do. And that is to serve him. With that, we'll uh, close in prayer. And after we pray, we'll have a time of response. Uh, the, challenge this morning is are you trusting in Christ if you're a Christian you've already seen God work a miracle in your life he saved you continue to trust in him that he will provide for you and care for you and let that free you up to serve him joyfully and willingly